uh, continuing our verse-by-verse study. I'm going to take a few minutes to catch you up because we, uh, we, we had a good Friday, well, we had a good Friday service, then a Palm Sunday service, and then an Easter service last week. So we'll catch you up in Colossians. If you do have uh, Facebook, um, if you're on my Facebook, you go to my Facebook page, I posted the outline if you want to go there and grab that so you can follow along. Uh, it will, I'm going to share it with you in a moment, but you can go there. But let's open with a word of prayer. Let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We ask now that you would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Oh Lord, take this smart and imperfect vessel and use it for your kingdom and your glory. None of us, all of you. Lord, I pray for everyone who's listening, Lord. Make this the most attentive hour of our week as we enter into your presence to receive from you. Again, we pray for anyone who doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So Colossians, I'll give you a a little bit of background again because we haven't been in this book for about three weeks and just to catch you guys up. So Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. It was actually one of the churches he had never visited uh, physically that we know of. And it was probably a church that was planted out of the church in Ephesus because that's the closest uh, church to it. And the church has only been there about six years. And word gets to, to Paul, who is still sitting in prison, by the way. We must never forget that. This is one of Paul's prison letters. He is sitting in prison, and he writes this letter to encourage and remind the people in the church in Colossae. Colossae. And the main focus of this entire book is the preeminence of Christ, that Jesus Christ, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And the reason he had to bring them back to that is even though the church was so young, there were a lot of things that were creeping into the church that were drawing the focus off of the Lord and putting it on something else. In that that region at that time that was even creeping into the church, things like astrology was getting into the church. Things like, uh, uh, we'll talk about this later, it's called asceticism, where they literally believed that the more they beat themselves and harmed themselves and denied themselves, it would draw them closer to God. There were those who were legalists who said, you have to keep the old covenant, and if you're truly going to walk with Jesus, being born again isn't enough. You have to be circumcised, as we'll see this morning. So there were a lot of things taking place in that church in Colossae where the focus was getting off of the Lord and getting more and more on all the things around it. And guys, we need to remember this, the central, the, the central focus of the church, the central message is Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. It's all about Jesus. We never take the focus off of Jesus. There's one celebrity in Christianity. His name is Jesus Christ. And this letter is reminding them that they're being distracted. And so it's amazing because uh, Calvary Chapel Calabasas, uh, this last week we celebrated our seventh year. So we've actually been here for seven years. It was on April 14th, 2013, we planted the church. So the church in Colossae is about the same age as Calvary Chapel Calabasas. And already, all these things have come into the church. So in chapter one of Colossians, it was all about the preeminence of Christ. It was all focusing on him, on who he is, the greatness of Christ, the power of Christ, making him the priority and the passion yet again within the church. And then we got to the first half of chapter two, the first half, it's the 14 times it says, in him, in him, in him, in him, in Christ, in him. So again, the focus being the preeminence of Christ, and now in him was the first half 
of the chapter talking again about where the priority should be in the local church. Now, as we come to this morning's text, I tell the message, the roadblocks, removing the roadblocks of religion. That might sound odd coming from a pastor, but here's the reality. I'm not a big fan of what the word religion has come to mean. There are a lot of religious people that do not know God. There are a lot of religious people that if they don't get saved, they're going to spend eternity separated from the Lord. And so religion does not save you. Only Jesus Christ can. If you're putting your faith in a denomination, if you're putting your faith in a religion, but you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you're lost. And so part of what we're going to look at this morning are some of those roadblocks that were taking place in Colossae, that are still taking place in the in United States and around the world today. Some of the things that people turn their eyes away from the Lord to focus on instead of Him. On my way here, I uh, prayed for the guy as I drove by him. A guy had a huge uh, mural on the side of his truck of the Pope and Mary. And guys, guess what? Loving the Pope and loving Mary, not going to get you into heaven. Pope didn't die on the cross for you and neither did Mary. Can I get an amen to that? You cannot put your faith in anyone other than Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many beads you have, how many statues you have, how many prayers you, you repeatedly pray over and over and over again. You can come to Calvary Chapel, Calabasas every Sunday and every Thursday for the next 25 years and still go to hell without the Lord if you do not surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So right off the bat, we're headed there. Can I get an amen? We're just, guys, it's Jesus. And so if you're putting your faith in anything else, if you're putting your faith in anyone else, my prayer is today that those roadblocks of religion will be removed and you'll get your eyes back on the Lord. Because that's the letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. So here are the six points this morning. If you don't have the outline, again, you can find it on my Facebook page. Um, But here they are. So removing the roadblocks of religion. First of all, removing anything that's being added to the cross. Okay, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. I have Christian friends who will disagree with that. That's okay. You can be wrong. You're fine. It's okay. But here's the reality. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And when we add to the cross, when it's Jesus plus catechism, Jesus plus baptism, we should be baptized, Jesus plus church membership, Jesus plus anything else, then we make Jesus a liar when he said on the cross to Talestai, it is finished. So one of the first roadblocks of religion is adding to the cross. You got to be baptized in our baptismal. You have to be one of our, you have to go through our new believers class. You have to pass this test. No, you don't. You need to give your life to Jesus. Should we be baptized? Yes. But baptism doesn't save you. Jesus does. Amen? Should we read our Bible every day? Absolutely. But just reading your Bible apart from Christ. There are people that read the Bible that don't know the author. And the reality is you need to know him. So their first roadblock uh, of religion that needs to be removed is any time the cross is added to. We're going to see circumcision is the thing they're focusing on. And again, that was an old covenant uh, relationship between God and the children of Israel. And it was something they were to do as an act of obedience between the children of Israel and God. But it's not, when you add that to Christianity, when you say you have to keep that or any other religious rite or rule, then you are adding religion to the cross of Calvary. Now again, the word religion, I love what it really means, relingara, means to relink. It's relinking sinful man back to holy God. I love that. But I hate what it's come to mean, so we don't add to the cross. Number two, legalism. Is adding the law as a requirement for salvation. And a lot of times, here's what legalism can be. Legalism can be a personal conviction 
that I have that I make a requirement for your salvation. The personal conviction could be, uh, I, I believe you shouldn't watch television. And now I tell you, if you're really a Christian, you won't watch television. That's legalism. Can I get an amen to that? Anytime I take something that is a personal conviction, or I, I say, well, you, if you don't meet on this day, or if, you have this, or if you have this kind of music, or if you don't dress this certain way, that's legalism. Guys, it's not about legalism. It's about Jesus. Amen? And again, we love the law. We love the old covenant because it all points to Jesus. But we don't worship the law. We worship Jesus. Can I get an amen? And we don't become more holy because we keep the law. We become more holy because we follow the Lord and we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So holiness is fruit of salvation, not the source of it. And so we'll see that the number two thing in removing the roadblocks of religion is legalism. Number three, the power of Satan. I want to say this. Satan's real. It is a spiritual battle that we fight. But Satan is a defeated foe and the devil can't make you do anything. Can I get an amen to that? Flip Wilson was wrong when he said the devil made me do it. Amen? Only old people in the room understood what that was. But the devil can't make you do anything. Now, he can tempt you. But the Bible tells us that with temptation, God makes a way of escape. And the Bible says if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. But you see, churches today that are so focused on the devil and so focused on, on the demonic and so focused on and it's all the devil, it's all the devil. I'll be honest with you. Most of the time when I sin, it's just plain stinking me. Can I get an amen to that? And too often, it's my own choices. It's the things that I choose to do. Guys, it's a spiritual battle that we fight, but Satan is a defeated foe, and our God is greater, and we need to leave Satan to, to the Lord and keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen? So that's another roadblock of religion. Satan, again, is a defeated foe. I put down here, food, drink, and days. There were people back then, and still to this day, that somehow want to link the day you meet and your diet to your walk with the Lord. Uh, yeah, there were dietary restrictions in the Old Covenant, and they were mainly to keep the children of Israel separated from the world. And that's why God had those, to separate them from the world. But in Acts chapter 10, when he rolled down the scroll and he said, rise, kill, and eat, that had far more to do with the Jews and the Gentiles becoming one in Christ than it really had to do with diet. But at that point, that those dietary restrictions were taken away. And I meet Christians sometimes who the first thing they'll tell me is some dietary restriction that they have and try to you know, convince me why it's so important. And if you want to have a dietary restriction, God bless you, that's fine. It has nothing to do with your salvation. The Bible tells us it's not what a man puts in his mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth, Amen. And so here's another roadblock of religion. And, well, what day do you meet on? And how, you know, how do you do that? Stop. We can worship Jesus every day. Amen? And do you know Pentecost was on a Sunday? The resurrection was on a Sunday. The early church met on Sundays. Sunday is the Lord's day, but every day is the Lord's day. And we can worship him every day. Can I get an amen to that? Another roadblock of religion is old covenant shadows. And I wrote that down, meaning all the things in the old covenant that people will worship we got to remember that all of those things were a shadow of the one who was coming. Why worship the shadow when we can worship the Savior? Can I get an amen? Everything in the Old Covenant, every, every single feast, every single ritual that took place, every single sacrifice, Jesus, 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 all of them. And so why would we go back and want, well, we should have the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, okay, you can do that, but guys... That's not what we worship. We worship Jesus. Amen? Well, the Passover. I've I, I participated in Passover seders. I think they're amazing because they all point to Jesus. But the Passover seder is not what draws me closer to the Lord. It's all the things in the seder that point to Jesus that draws me closer to the Lord. Amen? 
So guys, these are things that people can create and add to the cross of Calvary. And these are roadblocks of religion that some of them need to be pushed aside, just like in the church of Colossae. We're going to see that. All these things were being added to the cross of Calvary. All these things are being added to the simplicity of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And then finally, the harsh treatment of the flesh. So this is that asceticism I was talking about earlier. What they believed is, they believed if they like wounded themselves, it would somehow make them more holy. Every once in a while, I'll be flipping through the TV and you'll get on the Discovery Channel or something. They'll show a tribe of people and they're sticking swords through their arms or needles through their arms or they're sticking stuff into them to, to, as an act of worship. Uh, guys, here's the good news. Jesus suffered for us so we don't have to. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we, we want our flesh to be in submission to the Holy Spirit, but that is a spiritual thing. We don't beat ourselves up physically. Uh, Christ paid the price on the cross. It is finished. Amen. And all, can we, all these things right here, we're going to see in the second half of the chapter, we're all taking place at Colossae, and it, it was taking the focus off the simplicity of the gospel. See, one of the things that Satan wants to do, if he cannot get you to stop going to church, he wants you to go to a place where the gospel is hidden amongst a bunch of rituals. And there are churches today, there are places where you may go try to fellowship and you walk in and everything, you know, in the early church, uh, the, the Catholic church, they, they spoke in Latin. And they had, Bibles written, they had Bibles written in Greek and Latin, and, and people didn't read it. They didn't know how to read it. And then you go in and do a Latin service and walk out and not knowing what the heck was even talked about. Guys, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And he doesn't hide what he's meaning. We don't just go in and you know, do the lean to the left, lean to the right, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 and go home and have no idea what happened. We go in and we're having a relationship with the creator of the universe who loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. That's what's happening in Colossae. We get to focus back on Jesus. He is the preeminent one. He is the preeminent one. Guys, it's all about him. Don't you just love the Lord? I can't imagine living my life without him. What a great and awesome God we serve. We get to be called after his name. What a privilege that is. What a blessing that is. What a joy it is to be called a Christian. So let's begin there in verse 1, or excuse me, verse 11 of Colossians chapter 2, looking at, again, uh, who we are uh, in him, but removing the roadblocks, removing the roadblocks of religion. And the first thing that we see that takes place is adding to the cross of Calvary. So there in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, here's what it says. In him, you were also circumcised with circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. There were those that were teaching in Colossae that for you to really follow the Lord, you also have to follow the Jewish laws. And one of those was circumcision. So Gentiles were getting saved. And then there were those who were in that congregation of people who were saying, yeah, but if you really want to fully follow the Lord, you need to be circumcised. Now, as Paul writes this letter, he's addressing that true circumcision in the new covenant under Christ is not something that is done in the flesh, it's something that's done on your heart. So it's not adding some ritual that then makes you closer to the Lord. And again, in the old covenant, circumcision was obedience to God. And every man who followed the true and living God needed to be circumcised. So that was a fact. But now, 
as new creations in Christ. We are no longer under the old covenant. And it's a mark of the old, it was a mark of the old covenant between God and Israel. And some of the false teachers who came to Colossae were Jewish legalists. And they taught that the Gentile believers who had been born again, given their lives to Jesus, needed also to be circumcised to fulfill the Jewish old covenant. Now again, praise God for the old covenant because it all pointed to the Lord. Praise God for the old sacrifices. They all pointed to Jesus. We don't bring lambs in here on Sunday and make sacrifices. We're not uh, shedding the blood of bulls and goats. We don't, uh, we don't go in and, and, and slaughter an animal on the bronze altar and then you know, have priests cleansing themselves in the bronze laver and then going into the Holy of Holies and sprinkling blood. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. Jesus paid the price. All of that was pointing to the cross. And now it is finished. The talus died, paid in full. And when people add to that, when they drag you back into the old covenant, which was for that season and time, it was totally from the Lord, but it was all pointing to Christ. And guys, we don't want to take our eyes off of Jesus. We don't want to go back to the old covenant. We don't want to be faithful to who we are in the Lord. So they were saying that circumcision was something that you had to participate in. And the Gnostic legalism said that the Jewish law would help the believer become more spiritual. Now this happens. I'm a pastor. I've been one for 32 years. And I'll have people come to me that I believe are truly saved. But pastor, if you just would fulfill, why don't we do this, you know, this, this dinner and do this thing? And if you really were following the Lord, we should sing in Hebrew. I, I don't understand Hebrew. I, we, I'm going to sing in English. I have an English Bible. Can I get an amen to that? And if you want to sing part of a song in Hebrew, God bless you. But here's the reality. It doesn't make you more spiritual because you go back to the tenets of Judaism. And, and you know what? God's not done with the Jewish people. And I'm as pro-Israel as anybody on the planet. There's an Israel flag right there. I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Can I get an amen to that? That being said, we don't go back to the old covenant and cling to it. I love I read the, Thursday nights. We're in the Old Testament. Jesus on every single page. And that's who we focus on. Can I get an amen? And so the circumcision, he's calling out their misunderstanding and the way that they're applying and adding to the cross of Calvary. He says the circumcision is made without hands. It was more than just a physical uh, operation, but a spiritual transformation. The circumcision was not of, a, of the flesh, but of the heart. You know, that my heart's been changed when I gave my life to Jesus. If you give your life to Jesus, your heart changes. Your priorities change. Your passions change. Your new creation in Christ. And that's the circumcision that he's talking about. Not the fulfillment of a religious ritual, uh, but what Christ did in us. It's not something I do so Jesus will love me. It's not some ritual I keep so I can be religious. It's, it's the relationship with Almighty God and what that relationship has done in my life. He circumcised my heart. He cut away the dead flesh that was in me. Again, I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm going to heaven. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And guys, that's the priority and the passion of a believer in Christ. This is by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. The word putting off means to lay aside. It's laying aside the things of the flesh. So there's an Old Testament ritual and praise God for it, but it pointed to a New Testament truth, the cutting away of the flesh, the laying aside of our old sin nature. I want to say this too. People will say to me, well, I'm really convicted because when I do bad stuff, praise God, because if you're not convicted, you're not saved. Can I get an amen to that? 
The fact that there's been a circumcision of heart, the fact that there's been a transformation in my life, the way I feel about sin has radically changed. And I, I, when I sin, I'm grieved. My heart is broken. And so conviction is a sign of conversion. And yet, that can't be replaced by a physical circumcision. It can't be replaced by keeping some rules and rituals that somehow, that doesn't take the place of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and being a new creation in Christ, walking in His power, and being obedient to His Word, again, out of your love for Him. And it's only possible because the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of us. But notice what it says at the end of that verse, by the circumcision of Christ. So how, does, how, does, how do I become a new creation? Not by my good works, uh, but by being identified with Christ, with the work that he did for me on my behalf. He's the one that cut off our sin. He's the one that removed it. He's the one that makes us holy. He's the one that writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. He's the one who washes away all of my sin. The Father sees you and I holy because he sees us through the shed blood of his Son. It's not because he sees us through circumcision or baptism or church membership, but through the shed blood of his Son. And that's what makes us new creations in Christ. Don't put your faith in anything else but the Lord, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. There's a contrast between the Jewish physical circumcision, and the believer's spiritual circumcision in Christ. Uh, the circumcision in Israel was external, it was a surgery, and, and the, for the believer it's internal, it's in the, heart, in the heart. Jewish circumcision was only on part of the body, and the whole body, the whole body of sin is washed away. One was done by hands, one's done without hands. One had no spiritual help in conquering sin, and the other one enables us to to walk in obedience to the Lord and to overcome sin in our lives. What the law could not do, Jesus did. Amen? The law cannot redeem anyone. The law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. See, because of our sin, because we have sinned, the law shows us our sin. See, how would we know we were sinners apart from the law? When I witness to people, I love to take them to the Ten Commandments. And if you go to the Ten Commandments, we're all sinners. Can I get an amen to that? We all sinned this week. And so as we sin, that is a mirror that shows us we're a sinner. But that mirror can't save you. You know, when you look in a mirror and you see a blemish on your face, you don't take the mirror off the wall and try to clean it. You, it needs to be cleaned another way. And same with the law. The law can show us we're sinners, but it cannot save us. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come away to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. He's the fulfillment of the law. It was always pointing to him. He's the redeemer. He's the, the savior, the Messiah, the king. He's the one we've been waiting for. Every sacrifice, every religious thing that took place, every feast, all pointed to Jesus. He's fulfilled it. So one of the things that needs to be removed, the a roadblock of legalism is adding to the cross. We do not add to the cross. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. That's one of the roadblocks of religion that are so tragic today. Look at verse 12. And it says there, We were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision was a private covenant. It was done between a man and God. It was a reminder this covenant he had with the Lord, also with his wife. It was, a, it was that reminder every day that he had the covenant with God. Baptism is a public declaration. It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. So do we need to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. Should we be baptized? Absolutely. 
Why should we be baptized? It's a public way. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. One way for public uh, proclamation or confession, even after you've confessed him, is baptism. I love to do baptisms on the beach. I love to do it where there's a crowd of people. And what is baptism? It's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, that he died and he rose again, but it's also a picture of what's happened to us. We have died to our sin, and we are now new creations in Christ. There's really only two uh, ordinances in the new covenant. For the most part, it's the Lord's table and baptism. And those are two things that should be evident in the local church, and both of them point to Jesus. Amen? His body broken for us, his blood shed for us, his death, burial, and resurrection, and what it's done in our lives. And so praise God for that. Being identified with Christ, being dead to the old man, alive, new creations in him, raised again. Again, not through good works, but through faith in Christ. We're not going to heaven because we do good stuff. We're going to heaven in spite of all the, uh, the, the, the horrible stuff we do. Can I get an amen to that? In spite of all of our sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it good to know that he that knows you best loves you most? Isn't it good to know that he knows your thought life and things that, you, that no one else knows and he still loves you? What a gracious God we serve, amen? What a loving God, what a merciful God. So more than a physical ritual, but a spiritual transformation. So removing the roadblocks of religion, again, not adding to the cross. We don't add circumcision, we don't add baptism. We don't add a lot of things that are actually good things that we should do. But when you make them prerequisites for salvation, you make Jesus a liar who said on the cross to Talisti, it is finished, paid in full. Roadblock number two, along with adding to the cross, roadblocks of religion, legalism. And this is adding the law as a requirement for salvation. Look at verse 13. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he has made alive together with him, being forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped away the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and having it taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In Colossae and in the church today, there are people that will come and lay burdens on believers. If you really were saved, you would do this. And if you really want Jesus, you would do this. If you really want, and they would just add a burden after burden after burden. And the Bible says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. As believers, we, we shouldn't walk around with black robes on and a wheelbell full of rules, you know, hitting ourselves in the face with a board every three steps to prove we love God. And sadly, I meet people that, you know, I meet people in certain, uh, you know, sects, if you will, of Christianity that have no joy. Never see them smile. I've never met a happy legalist. And if they're legalists, they'll let you know right away all the things they're doing for God and how, how impressive they are. And they love to tell you all the stuff they've given up for the Lord. You know what? When I gave my life to Jesus, the things I gave up were things that, that I didn't need. And the things that I gained were so much better. Can I get an amen? And I don't have to go and fight with my flesh. And again, we die to our flesh. We put the flesh to death. But that's only done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need to add to the cross of Calvary. Amen? And he's letting them know, and these, these are powerful verses right here. He says, you being dead. This is the place of every person prior to being raised to faith in Christ. Uh, before we had a new life, we were dead. How, much good, how many good works can a dead person do? How many things can a, good, a dead person do? Nothing. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then we were made alive in Christ. And sadly, 
before any man comes to know Christ, again, he's not uh, a sick man in need of a doctor, but a dead man in need of a savior. Before you come to know Christ, you're spiritually dead. And if you don't know the Lord today, you're spiritually dead. There's, there's, there's scales on your eyes. And my prayer this morning is you come to know the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for you. And you don't have to get better to come to Jesus. You know, it's like saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up before I take a shower. I mean, no, I, I, need, I need to be bathed in him. So no matter where you are, come to the Lord just as you are. And the legalists will, will, take, will tell unbelievers all the things they need to do. But more importantly, they'll attack people who have already been born again. And they'll tell you, you have to do all of these things to somehow please God. You know, one out of every one person dies. Results are in. You know why? Because one out of every one person sins. See, sin brings forth death. And so it's because we are sinners that we die. But because of what Christ did on the cross, we can have life. Amen? And he makes us new creations in him. There's not going to be a reform section in heaven and an Armenian section. There's not going to be all these sections of, the, well, the, the, the vegan section, right? There's not going to be the, the, you know, the, the meat eater section and the, the, the didn't believe in instruments section and believed either in Christ or not. We're all one in Christ, amen? And it's sad that there's this division that can take place, and that was what was taking place, all the legalism. And the legalist who portrays himself to be more spiritual, the Bible tells us, is the weaker brother, They're the weaker one who's trying to keep additional laws to somehow be acceptable to God because they don't fully grasp God's grace. See, because of God's grace, it's paid in full. Because of what Christ has done for us, again, the word there, having forgiven all your trespasses, the key point there is forgiveness is in Him. It doesn't say forgiveness because you did a bunch of good stuff. It says there, having forgiven you all trespasses. Why? Because of who you are in him. He made us alive together with him. So it's because of who I am in Christ that I'm forgiven. It's not because of any rules or rituals I've kept. It's not because of who I am, but whose I am. Because I belong to the Lord, because the Father sees me through the shed blood of his Son, I've been made holy. Not because of any good works, not any rituals I've done, not because I, I knocked on, on 5,000 doors. Now, should we go door to door and share faith? Sure. Should we be do a lot of these things. Absolutely. But they don't save us. They're not the source of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation. Guys, it, it all begins and ends at the cross of Calvary. And that's where our focus needs to remain. The word forgiven there is from the Greek form of the word grace. In the Bible, forgiveness and grace are tied together, not forgiveness and works. Forgiveness and grace are tied together over and over and over in scripture, not forgiveness and works. Now, faith without works is dead, but works, again, are fruit of salvation, not the source of salvation. I'm not against, we're not against good works, but we are against it if you're making it a prerequisite to be saved. If you think somehow, if I do all these things, then somehow I'll earn it with God. That's not, that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of grace that the Word of God teaches. Guys, we're, we're forever given by, forgiven by grace, and again, nothing we earn It's nothing we earn, it's nothing we deserve. But notice, which sins does he wash away? It says all trespasses. You know my favorite word in this entire, all. And all means all, thank you Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Do you know that he's already paid for all your sin, not just past and present, but the ones you haven't even done yet? Praise God for that. Can I get an amen? I'm so thankful that by his grace we are saved. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice what it says there again in verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. That list of all of our sins, a debt that was so large that you and I could never pay it. Each of us was condemned by our sin. There was nothing we could do to pay off the debt. You're standing before a judge. You owe $5 billion and you got 50 cents in your pocket. You're done. And there's no way you could earn enough money. It's impossible. And the amazing part to me is that Jesus isn't just the attorney. He's the judge. And he steps down after judging you and judging me and saying, There's, you're done. You're judged. You're found sinful. Separation from God is what you deserve. You deserve hellfire. And then he steps down, takes our place, and pays the penalty for us. So he suffers as if he lived our life, so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. That's called grace. Praise the Lord. Why in the world would we try to add a bunch of rules and rituals to that? Guys, we need to preach it's grace, grace, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It changes everything. It says there at the end of it, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Again, not through our good works, but his great work and his great grace on the cross of Calvary. It was nailed to the cross. The list of our sins, nailed to the cross. He took it all upon himself. God's math, you've heard me say this before, one cross plus three nails equals four given. Amen? And I'm so thankful that we've been forgiven by Christ. I meet people all the time. What do I have to do to join your church? What, do I, what, 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 what classes do I have to take? I'm all for, hey, we're going to have a new believers class at some point. Uh, I want to do that, foundations of the faith. But guess what? We're going to study God's word. We're going to love you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again, and you're, you're not a junior Christian. Can I get an amen to that? Now, we, we have growing to do. We may be baby Christians. We have growing to do. But you don't get more saved. Amen? I'm saved. You're saved. You're born again. Name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And praise God, there's no eraser on the end of that pencil. Can I get an amen? And, and you're, going to, you're his. You belong to him because of his grace. And praise God for it. Bible tells us in Romans 6, we are no longer under the law, but under grace. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Washes all of our sins. It was all nailed to the cross. It is finished. It was paid there. Paul's reminding the church in Colossae, they've added so many things to the cross, and these two verses are pointing, no, it was all nailed to the cross. No, that's it. No, it was all nailed to the cross. All the sins are forgiven. All forgiveness. It all came at the cross. You don't need to add to that. It's not a 12-step program. Can I get an amen? It's not a seven-step program. You're not on your way to being saved. Here's another thing I don't really like. Okay, Pastor Dave, I'm going to step over here a little bit. I don't like this. I hear this all the time. I'm on my journey to becoming a Christian. Uh, dude, I hope you've arrived. Can I get an amen to that? It's not a journey. It's not a 12-step program. You're not working out your truth. You're not discovering your truth. Guys, here's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. He is the only way to be saved. He is the only path to salvation. And only through the cross of Calvary can any of us be redeemed and forgiven. And he proved himself to be God because on the third day he rose from the dead. And that's what makes him different than anybody who has ever lived because he alone is God. He alone is creator. He alone is redeemer. He alone is the Messiah. Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. Don't put your faith in a church. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? There it is. That's the word of God. And that's what he's exhorting the church in Colossae. You're getting your eyes off. You're taking your focus off of the cross of Calvary. You're starting to focus on everything else. 
Lord, help us. Can I get an amen? You know what churches in America need more of? Preaching the cross. Less 40 days of purpose. Less your best life now. Less, less you know, seven steps of financial freedom or beaver doesn't live anymore in the series or whatever else you want to do. Less of that, more God's word. Amen? Teaching the whole counsel of God and getting people to the cross of Calvary. He's the redeemer. He's the one who forgives us. So point number two in removing the roadblocks of religion along with not adding to the cross, the removal of legalism. We don't add personal conviction to the simplicity of the gospel. We don't add anything to the gospel other than the cross itself. Amen? Repentance, asking for forgiveness, coming to the cross. There it is. That's the gospel. And we don't add to it. Point number three, the power of Satan. It says here, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Man, I love that verse. He made a public spectacle. He disarmed the principalities. The Bible tells us, we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities and evil forces of darkness in high places. So there is a spiritual battle that takes place around us. But here's the good news. God wins. Can I get an amen? The good news is that even while a third of the angels left, were cast out of heaven and became demons when they chose to follow Lucifer, Satan, Instead of following the Lord, there is a spiritual battle we fight that is very real. Don't want to downplay that one bit. That being said, the cross rendered those principalities. It it judged the principalities. It disarmed them. So the devil can't make you do anything. Amen? He can tempt you. You know what? He can, the only people that harm themselves are those who choose to. Now, he can tempt you to sin, but we sin when we choose to follow that temptation. But it's a choice that we make. But here's the good news. If we walk in the full, if the Bible says if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, the armor against sin and temptation is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're focused on the Lord, when we're seeking after Him, when we're spending time in His Word, when we're desperate for God, then we're armed and able to resist the devil. And when we do, He flees from us, the Bible says. But if we are hanging out with the world, and we're surrounded by it, and we're not spending time in the Word, and we're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, we're a sitting duck for temptation, and we will succumb to it. Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua said. There's a point we make every day. Who are you going to follow? You're going to follow the world? You're going to panic like the world's panicking? Or are you going to put your focus on the Lord and trust the promises found in his word? Satan, again, we don't want to battle Satan in our strength because we get smoked. That's the reality. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And everybody wants to blame everything on the devil. Well, the devil this, the devil that. Yeah, you know what? He is the prince of the power of the air. And you know he is the god of this world to some degree. That's what the word of God tells us. But you know what? As believers, we win. Can I get an amen? God wins. God is greater. Devil can't make me do anything. He's a defeated foe who knows he's going to hell for all eternity, who wants to take as many people as he can with him. But he knows he's defeated. And he has been. Now, I want to say this. As Christians, we shouldn't even address the devil. Let the Lord do that. People, oh, I, can't, I tell the devil, I, I don't, I'm not engaged with him. I don't have time to engage with him. Lord, you get him. Can I get an amen to that? 
Let God have it. You know what we do? We don't engage with the enemy. We engage with the Lord. We don't focus on what we think the enemy might be doing. We focus on the Lord. Lord, you have that. Well, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to focus on you. And I have people, oh, pastor, I need to be delivered from the demon of chocolate. I need a, I need a prayer for the demon of chocolate. Stop it. No demon of chocolate. Get all, and the demon of this and the demon of that. And everyone, there's a demon of everything. Here's the good news. If there was a demon of chocolate, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? No matter what those things are, we don't always have to blame, er- again, the, the three enemies of the Christian, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay? That's true. We battle the world. We battle the flesh. We battle the, I'll, be the, I'll be honest with you. The one that we all battle with the most is our flesh. Because our flesh is always with us. Can I get an amen to that? And we've got to put it to death every day. But we do that by walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And there were those in the church in Colossae, where everything was demonic, and it was all, you know, this focus on everything, and again, taking the focus off of the Lord and putting it on the enemy. It says here, he triumphed over them. The word triumphed is the word for a Roman procession after a great victory. I love that. The principalities have been defeated. The battle's been won, amen? And I love it that it's like a picture of a a parade going by. Satan's a defeated foe, and he knows it. And he knows where he's headed. Now, in the life of an unbeliever, Satan's got limited resources, and he will go after those being used most widely by God. It is a spiritual battle that we fight. We battle not with flesh and blood, but powers, principalities, evil forces of darkness and high places. But I don't believe that our focus should be on the enemy again. Focus should be on the Lord and leave the enemy in his hands. Can I get an amen to that? Be in prayer. Be seeking the Lord. Make him the priority and passion of your life and let him take care of the enemy. We can recognize when the enemy's moving, but we stand for the, the Lord. And you know how you could stand is read your Bible. Spend time in prayer. Ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So point number three, the power of Satan. We need to know that Satan is a defeated foe. I hear, I hear pastors on radio and TV, they'll talk about Satan as much as they talk about the Lord. They talk about Satan all the time. Again, it needs to be addressed. It's in the Bible. It's real. But guys, our focus should be on the Lord and not on the enemy. Point number four, food, drink, and days. Notice what it says here. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. So is that pretty clear? It says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. There are entire denominations that, well, the church I pastor in Santa Cruz, we met at a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I believe there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists that love the Lord, but one of their prophets, Ellen G. White, taught that if you meet on Sunday, you've taken the mark of the beast. That's pretty gnarly. Can I get an amen to that? So if I meet on the day the Lord raised from the dead, if I don't observe the Sabbath, and, if, and by the way, if you eat bacon, you're in sin. And, but what does this verse say? Let no one judge you in food or drink. And regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, why, why in the world are we adding to the cross of Calvary and focusing on such non-essentials? And it's tragic to me to see that it happens in the church today. The people identify, you know, it's pretty hard to meet someone who's really strict on their diet that doesn't tell you about it in the first three minutes you met them. You know what? I think we ought to talk about Jesus more than our diet. Can I get an amen to that? We should be more focused on who we are in Christ. Now, again, the Bible does talk about not being a glutton and we, we should be good, you know, we should be good to the uh, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit we live in. But it's not a, a focus of worship. It's not something we talk about at church. 
It's not, you know, if you're not a vegan, you're not saved. Stop it. The Bible says that the, the weak brother eats only vegetables. So there you go. How about that verse? But you know what? This is more legalism. It's adding requirements to the simplicity of the gospel. You know, whatever, be convinced in your own mind and in your own heart. If God puts it on your heart that you should have a certain diet and you're doing that for the Lord, God bless you. When it becomes a problem is when you make it a prerequisite for everyone else's walk with the Lord. And you make it something that everybody else should observe, and if they don't, then they're, they're not saved. Uh, again, I pastored a church in Santa Cruz, very health-driven. Uh, they got mad at me when I dropped a can in a non-recycling bin one time, but I thought people were going to just lose their minds. You know, and the reality, I don't have a green gene in my body. I have to openly confess it. I don't care. I just don't. I want to be a good steward of the earth, but whatever. Let it go. Let's focus on Jesus. Can I get an amen? We can always find something to be you know, religious about and focus on that. And you know what that does? That drives people away. My prayer is that anybody who walks in the doors here is going to feel welcomed and loved. Can I get an amen? I don't care what they dress like, what their diet is, what their, I, I, it doesn't matter. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Amen? And what he's telling this church in Colossae that's caught up in, got to be circumcised. Here's what your diet needs to be. And then you got to do this. And what about the devil? And there's, a, you know, and there's just so many things. When the focus is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in him. These are just roadblocks of religion keeping people from the simple truth of the gospel. More legalism, adding requirements to the simplicity of the gospel, way to be, ways to be more spiritual, ways to keep the Sabbath, the festivals, and to refrain, retain from eating, refrain from eating certain foods. And again, be careful about being condemned. We need not be careful that we don't allow us to put under people under condemnation for things that they're not accountable for. I think we should consider, again, certain people that, look, if, if they are convinced, the Bible says, if one person is convinced to meet on one day and one another, let them each convinced in their own mind. Let them each have their own conviction. That's fine. If you, want to, if you want to worship on Saturdays, God bless you. That's fine. Let's just love Jesus. Can I get an amen? Let's not be defined by it. A lot of churches are defined by it. We're the seventh day. We, advent, we are we're Adventists for the seventh day. I love the seventh day Adventists. God bless you guys if you're watching. But that's the name of your church. How about we put Jesus in the name of the church? How about we focus on, I love Calvary Chapel. You know, Calvary, that's where Jesus was crucified. Can I get an amen? And too often we're focused on what man we followed or what, what theology we followed or what, it's all about Jesus. Let's put our focus on him. Point number five. So along with Roadblocks that need to be removed, the roadblocks for religion, adding to the cross, legalism, focusing too much on the power of Satan, uh, giving him too much credit, food, drink, and days, adding requirements to the simplicity of the gospel. Again, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth. Now, all these old covenant shadows, now they are all wonderful. Nobody loves the Old Testament more than me. I love the Old Testament. I love to teach through the Old Testament. I love to read the Old Testament. When I get asked to go speak at churches and conferences, nine times out of ten, I teach something out of the Old Testament. Because I love the Old Testament because all of it points to Jesus. And I love to read something in the Old Testament that's 1,500 years before Christ came to earth that all points to Jesus. So I love the Old Testament. That being said, we don't worship the elements of the Old Testament the point to Jesus, we worship the one they point to. Can I get an amen? We don't worship the shadows that point to the Savior. We worship the Savior. It says here, 
which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. See, some of these old rituals that they were saying still needed to be followed, he said in the previous verse, he said those are just a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. When they were observing all of those, when they were taking a a lamb, and they were slitting the throat of a lamb and taking his blood, the blood of a lamb, and then putting it on four points on that, you know, the bronze altar that a man could lay down on perfectly, the blood of the lamb, four points. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes the sins away the sins of the world. He bled from his hands, his head, and his feet, the same four points, but the same size as the bronze altar. I mean, all of that is wonderful because it points to Jesus. But guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, we don't have to kill lambs anymore. We don't have to have a bronze altar anymore. We don't have to have the bronze altar. We don't have the table show. We don't have to have the Holy of Holies. It's been paid in full. It is finished. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? We can enter into intimate fellowship with God anywhere and anytime. We are the most blessed of all people. We can talk to the Lord driving down the freeway which are really empty right now, by the way. Praise the Lord. But you can talk to the Lord anywhere at any time because that veil has been torn. It used to only be the high priest on the day of atonement. Only he could go and he had to come in with the blood of the lamb or he couldn't even get in because they could only draw near through the shed blood of the lamb. Guys, we draw near because of the blood of the lamb and we can have intimate fellowship with the Lord. That veil has been torn and we can talk to God anywhere and anytime. How blessed are we? And the tragic part is we don't talk to him enough. Can I get an amen? We don't spend enough time in the word. We don't spend enough time in prayer. Pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament uh, covenants, feasts, and festivals. And again, the focus is not on the, uh, the rituals and the rites. It should be on the Lord and his word. When you have the real thing, why do anything that's just the shadow of the truth? So let's focus on the Lord. And again, I love the Old Testament. I love looking at everything in the Old Covenant. I love it because it all points to the Lord. But our focus isn't keeping the Old Covenant. Our focus is worshiping the one who fulfilled it all. Amen? And that's the exhortation here. These old covenant shadows are not something that we, we have to hold on to, but we can look to because they point to the Lord. Look what it says in verse 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by, the, by his fleshly mind. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in his false humility and the worship of angels. They would pray to angels in the church in Colossae, and they were worshiping angels. Part of this goes back to that principality thing with Satan, and they would focus on their diet, and they would focus on the rituals in the past, and they would say, you got to keep those and be circumcised and fulfill all the old feasts from the old covenant, and then they would have this focus on worshiping other things other than the Lord. And they would pray to angels. First of all, no, we don't pray to angels. Can I get an amen? Uh, People try to worship angels in the Bible, and the angels always tell them to stand up. Can I get an amen? Don't worship me. We don't worship angels. We don't worship the saints. Can I get an amen? See, Satan was thrown out of heaven because he wanted the, the angelic host and eventually all creation to worship him. 
So when you want worship focused on yourself, you're being Satan-like. And, and so when people are praying to saints and worshiping angels and worshiping Mary, they were doing to her the very thing that Lucifer wanted to have happen that got him thrown out of heaven. If anybody could grieve in heaven, it would be Mary. Stop praying to me. Now again, well, that's how, the way I grew up. Well, you grew up wrong, knock it off. Can I get an amen to that? Right, well, you don't pray with vain repetition. Stop it. It's not biblical. By the way, you're at home, a lot of you, you want a good movie to watch? I'll give you a good movie to watch. Luther. One of the best movies I've ever seen. It's about Martin Luther, who was a devout Catholic priest, who was troubled and tormented in his sleep, who finally, as I found out, the monks in his time did not have access to the Bible. Think about that. They sent him to seminary, if you will. He started to read the Bible, and he realized that everything that they were doing was not in the Bible. Adding to the cross, all these, all these different rituals they performed, and paying for indulgences. None of it's in the Bible. Guys, wherever, look, if Calvary Chapel's doing something that's not in the Bible, we need to stop. Can I get an amen to that? Everything needs to be in the Word of God. My dad was a pastor in a denomination when I was a kid, and there were a deacon board that ran the church. Some of you might know churches like that. And even as a kid, he used to bug me. And the church was growing. People were getting saved. And they would call my dad on stuff all the time. Well, the, the rules are... Don't, don't, don't. And my dad would say, show me that in the Bible. I don't care what the rules of the, of the denomination are. Who cares? What does the Bible say? Can I get an amen to that? Guys, we don't follow a denomination. We don't follow a religion. We follow Jesus. Amen? Guys, you know who's going to be in heaven? Christians. People who follow Christ. And that's what's going to delineate it. Now, I have a heart for all people. I want to see people saved. But it's so tragic when the focus gets off of the Lord and it starts getting put on secondary things. And then it says people get vainly and they get puffed up. Why are they puffed up? They're getting puffed up because they think all the legalistic things that they're doing somehow make them more spiritual. Well, but I do this, and I get up, I get up at 4 o'clock every morning. They call me camel knees because I pray so much. And, you know, and the reality is, a guy who prayed that much wouldn't say that. So the guy's lying. That's what I'm... Because if we prayed that much, it would just make us humble. Can I get an amen? If we spend as much time in the Word, it would make us humble. You know, spiritually mature people are not arrogant. They're humble. That's why when I see arrogance in discussions, that tells me right off the bat, that person's not as spiritually mature as they think they are. Because humility, and so it's this false humility and this being puffed up in the flesh and the things that I've accomplished and the things that I've done, that grieves the heart of God. Notice it says there, and not holding fast to the head from all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So let no one cheat you you know, of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels and intruding into those things which have not been seen, barely puffed up. So there's always somebody coming along with a new revelation. By the way, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Can I get an amen? Oh, there's a new revelation down in Florida. Oh, up in Toronto, they're barking in the spirit. Oh, you got this thing with the, 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 the you know, gold dust coming out of the sky. All this nonsense. Bible. Can I get an amen? Word of God. Let's focus on this. Let's read the Bible. I have never met anybody that's got this down. Can I get an amen? I don't need any new stuff. Let's study what the Word of God says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And he said, there's those who, well, we, we, you know, we have a ministry with angels. And, and by the way, 
The Mormon church started when Joseph Smith said he met an angel, Moroni, the Italian angel, out in the woods somewhere who gave him a new book and some glasses and he looked into this, this hat or whatever and he could read it all and then he wrote it down. Guys, we don't, we don't add to the book. Can I get an amen? The Bible says if, if anybody comes preaching another gospel, even an angel, don't believe it. Can I get an amen? See, these are things that he's talking to the, Colossian, the church in Colossae. Don't get drawn off by angels. Don't get drawn off by some new philosophy that's come down the pipe. Don't have some walk, these people walk around in false humility to think they're more spiritual because they're doing all these extra things. Guys, Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. In him, in him, in him, in him. He's preeminent. It's all about him. Focus back on Jesus. Amen? And that's the exhortation he's giving to this church in Colossae that is being distracted by the world. And again, all these roadblocks of religion that are taking their focus off of the Lord. If you get into a discussion with another believer and it's all about your diet, or it's all about your workout, how you're working out, or it's all about, and Jesus doesn't come up in the top, something's wrong. If it's all about, you know, where you, what, you know, what hymnal you use or what kind of music you have, or, or you need to wear a tie or you're not saved or whatever. Again, all of that is secondary to the gospel, and none of that will matter in heaven. Did Jesus go around criticizing the way people dressed? Was he walking around, and was he being, was he being legalistic about? No, that's not the Lord at all. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. These roadblocks of religion are keeping people from Jesus. And again, I love what the word religion really means, but it breaks my heart to have people who feel like they're not good enough to walk into your church. Let's finish up the last point here, the harsh treatment of the flesh. Now, there are those who think if I'm really spiritual, then I'll do things to my flesh that will you know, show just how devout I am. And again, it's not humility. It's trying to get a focus on themselves. But here's what it says. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why is though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regu- regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things which are perishing with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. So you've given your life to the Lord. Now do you, why do you walk around with a willful rules? Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. Put all these regulations on top of people on things they shouldn't do and can't do. By the way, that's, that's legalism. Don't, 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 don't. And then a lot of religions are do, 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 do. And you know what Christianity is? Done. Can I get an amen? It's done. It's finished. It's been paid. And the exhortation in these verses is the harsh treatment of the flesh in order to control its lust, a direct attack attack on the finished work of the cross. I must suffer uh, because the suffering Christ did was not sufficient to pay the penalty for what I've done. And it's do not, do not. This is a a perfect description of legalistic religion defined more by what we don't do than what we do. We don't, we don't go to movies because we're really, they're real Christians. You know, we don't eat, you know, uh, bacon because we're the real Christians. You know, we don't uh, come to church unless, you know, we're wearing a, a suit and a tie because we're the real Christians. And we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. And, and we don't dance, we don't do this, we don't do this, we don't do this. And again, as you're convicted not to do those things, that's fine. But when you make that a regulation, and when you judge someone's spirituality based on things that are extra biblical, you've missed the point. Some of the most godly people I know 
are just humble and, and focus on the Lord and not themselves. And you know what? And they have joy. And I've yet to meet somebody who's legalistic and caught up in a bunch of rules that has joy. Amen? There's just not, and that, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. Does that describe my life? Does that describe your life? When they think of us, they think, that person loves, that person has joy, that person has peace. Or do they see a person that's religious and very, you know, very stout and very judgmental and pointing fingers at others? Just remember, the people that Jesus got angry with in the Bible were the religious people who were adding to the simplicity of the gospel. It was, those, it was the Pharisees and those who thought that they were more religious than everyone else and who looked down on everyone else and they, you know, they tied a string around themselves to see how far they could travel on the Sabbath day and they tied mint and cumin. You know, they were so keeping all the rules to somehow please God. Here's the good news. We don't, we don't need to do that. He paid the price for us. Amen? Now again, we'll be obedient to the convictions God's placed upon our life. We should live holy and set apart lives. But again, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inside-out work, not the other way around. See, they were saying, do not, you know, deny your body, deny your family, deny your spouse. Some of these people, what they would do is they would walk away from their families to devote themselves to God. Well, that doesn't line up with Scripture. Can I get an amen? Well, I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave my wife and my children because I need to be fully focused on the Lord. Well, if you're fully focused on the Lord, the Bible tells us a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. You're called to be the spiritual leader in your household. Your first ministry is that woman God gave you. Can I get an amen to that? So when you put church activity above ministering to your family, you've missed it. If you, if you think you're honoring God by by mistreating your family and by not being the spiritual leader in your home, uh, having your wife work two jobs so you can stay home and study your Bible. You want, why don't you take what you're studying and put it into action and get a job? Can I get an amen to that? Be a man of the word. Be a man who lives it out loud. Be, be someone who honors the Lord in all he says and does. That's what the word of God is telling us. And what's happening here is they're creating new rules to kind of separate themselves from everyone else. And they deprive themselves. They isolate themselves. And the more I deny myself, the more spiritual I become. I just don't see that in scripture. Since the motivation for such behavior is not the move of the Holy Spirit, but something that comes again from our flesh, based on a self-righteous will of man. And the key to living above legalism is to remember that you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. As born-again spirit-filled believers in Jesus Christ, we're moved by His Spirit, resting in Him, seeing the lost world through His eyes, not by a bunch of self-imposed doctrines of men that promote man-made laws over the gospel. That's what He's just saying here. All these things, you know, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle with all concerns which uh, things are perishing uh, with, with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. He said, where do these come from? These come from men. These aren't in the Bible. These don't come from the Lord. God hasn't told us to do this. The world's told us to do that. Why do you listen to what men say instead of listening to what God has said? Final verse. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion false humility, and neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Amen, amen, and amen to that. Here's what it says. Let's read that again. They have the appearance of wisdom. So if you get a, and a lot of times they'll go after a new believer and they'll sit them down and go, now look, if you really, I know you loved, I know you gave your life to the Lord. I saw you go for it three weeks ago. Hey, let me show you some things. If you really are committed to the Lord, here's what you need to do. 
And then they give you a list of things you need to be doing that aren't in the Bible. And here, Paul is exhorting the church in Colossae that it gives the appearance of wisdom. But remember that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And it's the word of God where true wisdom comes from, not the opinions of men. It's the word of God. So when someone wants to give me some counsel, can you back that up in the word of God? And he says, self-imposed religion. So here it is. This is where I got the whole, you know, roadblocks of religion. It's religion that you impose upon yourself that did not come from the word of God. So you're taking rules and adding them together in some kind of religious philosophy, and now this is what you follow, but none of it's in the word of God. It's self-imposed. It sounds wise. It sounds like it could be true, but if you compare it to the word of God, it's not in there. If it's not in the word of God, I want anything to do with it. Can I get an amen? Word of God. That's our foundation. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice he says, neglect of the body. This is that asceticism where they would, they would harm themselves on purpose to show how spiritual that they were. I knew a young man that gave himself tattoos to make it look like he had been crucified. Nail prints on his... I'm like... He's going to our church. He's like, yeah, see, this is... I'm like, bro, uh, no, I don't get it. Like, okay, God bless you. That's fine if you want to do that. But it's like somehow I'm more spiritual if I take on his scars. By his stripes, we are healed. Can I get an amen? He paid the price for us. Now, we may suffer for him. We may have an opportunity to do that. But that's just putting on the, the things that make it look like we've suffered so somehow we're more spiritual. We are going to suffer for Christ if we stand for Christ. We'll, we'll have the fellowship of his sufferings when we stand for him in front of a lost and a dying world. But the reality is that we don't wound ourselves to somehow look more spiritual. That's just not, that's what's happening in the church of Colossae and here it's being condemned by the word of God. It says they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. The self-imposed religion is man attempting to reach up to God, trying to justify himself by keeping a list of rules, and Christianity is God reaching down to us. See, when legalism and, and religion is trying to reach God, I'm trying to do so many good things that somehow God will have to love me. And the problem, I'm so thankful I don't have to jump up to God. Can I get an amen? Trying to jump up to God is a task that's impossible. You see this analogy, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant could jump higher than me. And, and if we compare to each other, he jumps a, lot higher than, jumps a lot higher than me. Guess what? If we're trying to reach the moon, we're both never going to get there. Can I get an amen? Legalism, the world, we're trying, people are trying to reach God through their good works. But that's not what happened. We don't reach up to God. He reached down to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? He left heaven and came to earth and suffered and died in our place that we might have eternal life. And so much of religion is us trying to do enough so somehow we'll be good before God. If we go to confession enough, if we do enough good works, if we, we knock on enough doors, if we get enough you know, notches next to our name, then, when we, then judgment day comes, hopefully we'll have done enough to outweigh our sin. Here's the reality. We'll never have done enough to outweigh our sin. That's why Jesus did it for us. And that's where salvation comes from. Guys, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the one who created you. So in closing, removing the roadblocks of religion. Number one key, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The spirit-filled walk produces a holy and fruitful life. Not a holy man-made attempt at righteousness producing a spiritful life. You trying harder in your flesh to do uh, rules you've created to somehow make yourself more holy is not going to get you closer to God. 
The way we get closer to the Lord is we die to ourselves, we fall on our face before the Lord, we spend time in His presence, we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's not an outside-in transformation, it's an inside-out transformation. When you fall in love with the Lord, you will change. And no one will have to give 5,000 rules to keep. You'll do it because you're convicted, because you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You want, you want to know the number one reason that I hate sin? Because I love my Savior. It's not because there's a, it's written down, and it is, praise God for that. But I hate it because I love the Lord, and I know it breaks his heart when I do it. I want to be close to the Lord. It's an inside-out thing, amen? Not an outside-in transformation. Christianity is not, again, reaching, uh, is not God, us reaching up to God, but God reaching down to us. Legalism, works-based salvation, self-imposed religion, again, are all man-made attempts. Uh, religion, the word to relink, I love that. Relinking sinful man back to holy God. But I hate what it's come to mean today because people that are very religious are often very lost because the focus is no longer on the Lord and his word. The focus now is on all these things I can do to somehow be acceptable to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the chapter today. I know hard for some of us to hear. But in all of our lives, if we're making anything a priority that is not in your word, if we're adding to the cross of Calvary, if we're walking in legalism, if we think somehow we have to punish ourselves for our sin when, Lord, you already paid the price. I love the focus of this, of this chapter to get our eyes back on Jesus, to get our focus back on the Lord, that these things are all done or of no value, it says in the text. These things are not the things that will make us more like Jesus. It's in him, it's in him, it's in him, it's in him, it's in him. If you're watching right now, and the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've been putting your faith in religion for your your whole life, for a, a few months, a few years, religion won't save you. Religion won't save me. Joining Calvary Chapel won't save you. It's not about a denomination. It's not about a church. It's about Jesus. And if you've allowed anything to take your focus off the Lord, if you think you're going to go to heaven because of some of these good works and rituals that you keep regularly, somehow will make you pleasing to God. We've all got a sin problem. God can't have one sin in heaven. He's got earth part two. So your sin and my sin has to be dealt with. And it's not dealt with by me doing good works. It's not dealt with by me uh, you know, praying to saints. It's not dealt with by me going to communion. It's not dealt by that. The only way our sin can be washed away is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It's only in him that we can have salvation. And so the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. It's confession. You know you're a sinner. If you don't, you've got a pride problem. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. So we know we're sinners. So what are you going to do with our sin? Have you come humbly and broken before the Lord and confessed, I'm, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead? If you've been convicted today by the message, that's the Holy Spirit. Praise God for it. But the Holy Spirit is here with believers convicting us of sin. But guess what? When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he comes to live inside of you. You become a new creation in Christ. You have the promise of heaven. Bible talks about you must be born again. We've been born physically. We need to be born spiritually. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now, wherever you are. You might be watching on your phone. You might be sitting by yourself. Maybe you're with your family. But wherever you are, here's an opportunity. Confess him before men. So I just want you to pray this prayer with me. If the Lord's convicting you and you say, you know what? I want to give my life to the Lord. I'm ready to surrender to him fully. I want to repent. I want to turn away from the life I've been living and put him on the throne of my life. Remove myself and put him there. If that's your heart, I want you to pray with me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I recognize that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Help me to repent and turn away from the life I'm living. Lord, help me to follow you. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead. And I come now to surrender my life to you. Forgive me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says, when one person prays, when one person gives their life to the Lord, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. If you truly meant that, I want you to take the next step. Here's what it is. Pick up the phone and call me. Pick up the phone and call someone in our fellowship. Go to our website, cccalabasas.com. My cell phone number is 831-428-2214. I'd love to pray with you and pray for you. Start reading the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one. We'll figure out a way to get it to you. So I want to encourage you. You know what? There's nothing greater. If it took a pandemic to get us on our knees, to give our life to the Lord, is the best thing that ever happened. Can I get an amen to that? So choose today whom we will serve. We will serve the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? God bless you if you meant it in your heart. Again, the Lord loves you. He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. Is he worthy to be worshipped, to be praised? Yes. Let's all stand up wherever we are and let's praise the Lord.